Gedeih Unleashes. Today I have an extra special guest in my podcast and I'm so excited. Well, you guys, I'm always excited, but today I'm extra excited. Today I have the one and only Alex Sharfin. Now, I have been following Alex for years. I was in one of his programs, which was called Foundation at the time, and I have learned so much. And one of the things that stood out for me was reduce the pressure and noise, and it's amazing how things happen. And I'm not going to dive into more details. He's also known for the billionaire code and a lot of other amazing things, which I'm going to to dive into this episode. Welcome to season nine of Unleash Your Focus podcast, the number one place to be to start, grow, or scale your online business. This season, we have stepped it up. I am not just diving in behind the scenes to understand what makes these entrepreneurs successful, but throughout season nine, we will be giving away prizes every single week that you can win books, courses, coaching programs, vouchers, and so much more. You will not just get the knowledge from the experts on the actual episode, but we will send you a transcription on email every single week with a summary and a call to action that you can implement in your business. To qualify for prices, please make sure that you are on the email list so you don't miss out and share this with friends and family that you think needs this in their life. Go to unmutualfocus.com and register today. I can't wait to share these episodes with you. See you on the inside. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? Doing great, Joy. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited. Like I'm literally shaking of excitement, which is, you know, it's just, I'm just so pumped up. Can you tell people who is Alex on a normal day when you're not thinking about work, which obviously is hard to switch off as entrepreneurs, but who is Alex on a normal day? Uh, when I'm not thinking about work. Um, you know, I, I think for me, there's always a baseline level of thinking about work because it's not really thinking about work. You know, I, I'm 48 years old and <clears throat> I've been working with entrepreneurs and, and been an entrepreneur my whole life. And so on any given normal day, it's, it's near impossible for me to get thoughts of helping entrepreneurs or understanding entrepreneurs or um, moving our business forward or connecting to people not to sneak into my mind. But if we're talking about a day where I'm not fully immersed in work, you know, I think first I'm a husband and then I'm a father. I, uh, you know, I've been married to Katie for 16 years this year. We just had our anniversary, October 1st. Um, thank you. We've been together for 18 years and I'm 48, so I met her when I was 30. And prior to that, my life was kind of all over the place. And so I'm extraordinarily proud of not just marrying Katie, but the time and the effort and the deep work that we've done to create the marriage and the relationship and the connection that we have. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, we have two incredible daughters. They're uh, 15, no, 14 and 12. Um, Reagan is the older one and Kennedy's the younger one. And so I was recently at an event and somebody asked me like, how do you, how, when you, if you had to say, you know, high level, how do you break down your time? Like what percentage do you do what? I said, you know, if, if we're talking waking hours, I would say probably, you know, 20, 30% on learning another 15 or 20% with my, or 20, another, well, 20 or 30% learning 20 or 30% with my family, 20 or 30% working. And I put a lot of time into staying healthy and connecting with friends. And so I think, uh, you know, I, I, the older I get, the more I realize how important relationships are. And so that's been a, it's, it's a very high focus for me and a high level of focus. And it's so incredibly important to keep those relationships intact and actually, like I say, work on them. Because as entrepreneurs, we tend to be so immersed in our business, we forget the people around us. You know, that's like any start, when you start up in entrepreneurship, that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Do you feel like when you started well, obviously you've been doing this for many many years but when you had when you started your journey when you were in your early 20s right actually even before that I'm sure you did yeah. did you feel like you struggled to find that balance between relationships and 
and actually having business on the side? Oh, Joy, I mean, when I, if we go back to the beginning, I was, I, there was no balance at all. Yeah. Um, when I was in my teens, late teens and 20s, I was obsessed with creating some level of success. You know, I attended some college and uh, college got increasingly irritating because I was running businesses on the side. And I remember being in a marketing class and um, the teacher in our marketing class was talking about direct mail responses. This is a while ago. I'm 48. So I was probably 20 at that or 19 at that time. And she was talking about what you could expect from direct mail responses. And I had a company that was doing direct mail and we were getting three or four times the response, response rate she was. And she didn't believe me. And she was saying you get one to two percent. I was saying, well, we get four to ten percent. And she didn't. She didn't believe what we were talking about. We had a targeted mailer with targeted message, customized a customized envelope, and we were crushing it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I I did not do really well in college. But my my balance back then there was none. Um, in my twenties, I worked all of the time. I worked seven days a week. I read an article about Bill Gates, who back then was kind of the, the Elon Musk of the time, the guy who was breaking all the barriers and breaking all the, yeah. the glass ceilings that were in place for entrepreneurs. And they said that he never took a day off in his 20s. And rather than taking that as a, wow, that's curious, I took it as an instruction and I didn't take a day off in my 20s. And so, you know, when I was 30, I, prior to turning 30, in my late 20s, I started to really struggle with what is life all about? And, and do I want to keep doing this? In fact, <clears throat> I, it's, uh, I read a book when I was younger called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robin Sharma. And I remember I had the application to buy the Ferrari and the book on a coffee table in my house and they were battling each other. I didn't even read the book because I was afraid it was going to talk me out of buying the Ferrari. And then I didn't fill out the application because I was afraid I would read the book and then have the Ferrari and want to sell it. And so finally, <laughs> one day I opened it. Yeah. Finally, one day I opened the book and read it and, you know, that, that book made a major impact and impact in my life of, you know, searching for more meaning and more understanding and what did I really want and who did I want to be. And um, in the last, when I was about 29, 28, 29, I, I went through this, this huge shift where I didn't want to work like I was. I was working, you know, a hundred hour week was normal for me and I didn't want to continue to burn the candle at both ends. I was... When I started my business at 21, the business I ran in my 20s, I was I had just been a runway model in California. I'd done some hair modeling, not not anything spectacular, like some very low paying gigs, but I was I was well enough to be able to get on a runway. And by the time I was 30, I was almost 300 pounds, uh, probably over. I didn't weigh for a while. Um, I had four different prescription drugs. I felt terrible every day. I had a pill that I took to eat up. I had pills that put me to sleep. I didn't really understand what I was ingesting in my body. And at 28 or 29, I started kind of turning things around, but things really shifted for me when I met Katie. And I decided I wanted to, to try and live life a different way. I didn't want to burn the candle at both ends. I, you know, it, it I had this, this crisis where it was like, why am I doing all this? You know, I, I'm not enjoying any of it. I'm creating some level of success. I had a multi-million dollar company and I was doing extraordinarily well for somebody um, back then my age, but I didn't even enjoy it. And every day I felt like I got up and got into this horse race that never ended. And so um, I exited my business uh, primarily so I could spend more time with her. And we started some real estate businesses in South Florida together, which is a whole nother part of the story. Um, but it was a, a massive shift for me. And so I think a lot of people do that when they're young. And, you know, I think we're sold this, this, you know, I used to call it a bill of goods or a lie, but for some people it's true. For some people in order to run a business, 
we have to sacrifice. We actually, for some entrepreneurs actually have hardwired, if I'm not sacrificing, I won't be successful. So they actually do have to sacrifice. And you know, I see it all the time with people who we coach and we can, we coach them out of pain and then they put themselves right back into pain and we coach them out of pain again. And then they light fires in their business and they, they go right back. You know, if, if somebody's always putting out fires in their business, we call them an arsonist. You know, that's, that's <laughs> kind of how it works. And so, yeah. And so, so, you know, for me, it was a, a matter of trying to find a different way to live that was more intentional and that included more joy and more happiness and more actually uh, absorbing the experience rather than just focusing on whatever was going to happen next. Yeah. It's amazing when you dive into those type of things, what the outcome, you know, like how you actually now, how you have grown. And if you had to stay there, you would have been a problem. No. Yeah, it's you, interesting. Just just as an aside for that story, yeah. years later, I was in a meeting at Genius Network with Joe Polish, and I got up to speak, and I hadn't noticed there was this guy in the audience who had a hoodie on, and you couldn't really see his face, and he was wearing sunglasses, and I spoke and sat down, and there was a note passed from him to me that the room was in a big U-shape, the table was in a big U-shape, so I got up and I spoke about the entrepreneurial personality type. And I got this note passed down to me and I looked at it and it said, hey, we should connect. A lot of your speech resonated with me, Robin. And I looked over and it was Robin Sharma. And it was like, I'm getting chills right now talking about it. It's like this magical connection. And so like an absolute amateur, I took my phone out and took a picture of the note because I wanted to make sure that I had it for forever. And then I'm like, oh my God, did Robin Sharma just see me take a picture of the note? And so I handed him a note back to you that said, you know, you've had a massive impact on my life, but I'd love to talk. And I ended up forming a relationship with Robin and uh, speaking at several of his events and, you know, actually speaking at for a while, you know, for, for several years, we spoke very, very often and yeah. Um, we check in every once in a while now. And so it's interesting how circular the world is. This this book that had this massive impact on me years later, um, I'm friends with Robin. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, Tony Robbins was one of the first influences I had in personal development. I've now been at four or five events where we've shared the same stage. So wow. it's interesting how, how equations are set up in our lives. That, I love that. That is so amazing. Can we, can we dive into your book? So for Please. anybody that's watching this on YouTube, this is amazing get this book alex can you talk a little bit about this book now i know that you have read thousands and thousands of books in your lifetime and this this was kind of born from understanding entrepreneurs right like diving into their can you tell people a little bit about your entrepreneurial yeah you know whenever i started talking about this again i get chills because um as a kid uh when i was young i was different than all the other kids and i knew it You know, I was the type of kid that was so different. I didn't really get along great in school, didn't get along great with my peers, didn't really have a place that I belonged. And so I knew I wanted to have some level of success. I had seen my father lose a business and really struggle in his business. My family struggled for money when I was a kid. You know, um, I grew up working with my dad in a swap meet on a border town, in a border town. So it was, you know, sitting in a booth all day, 120 degree heat. And, and, and if anybody challenges that temperature, we were in Yuma, Arizona or Calexico, California, which was ridiculously hot. And I would sit at, a, at an intersection where my dad had one of the bigger stands. And there was a guy who was pitching mops on one end, a guy who was pitching chamois in another place, and a guy who was pitching food slicers in another place. And so I'd sit there and listen to these people sell all day. And, you know, as a kid, 
um, I thought I was so far away from this thing called success. You know, my family didn't have a lot of money. I saw opulence and, and a lot of wealth around me. We lived in Orange County, California. I had friends whose families had tons of money. So I knew what it looked like. And I started trying to read personal development. And one of the first books that I, I read was uh, a, a Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins. Then, which was like this, and I read it when I was really young. In fact, when I was 10 years old, I read, or I listened to the tape set for uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer's Own Awakened Life, and um, actually ended up meeting him later in life too, before he passed away. And uh, so as a kid, I, I, I you know, I read, read Tony Robbins, I read Wayne Dyer, and I started reading more personal development, and there was so much conflict in the books that they started arguing with each other and it got overwhelming. And as a kid, I couldn't reconcile it. And so I started reading about successful people and I obsessively have chased the stories of successful people my whole life. You know, uh, I, I would, would hear about somebody historic that resonated and I would read about them. You know, Einstein stood out to me. So I read about Einstein and I, you know, found out that he failed algebra. He couldn't tie his shoes until he was four. I started seeing this reflection of the kind of sensitivities and weaknesses that I had. You know, I read about Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, who supposedly sat under an apple tree and the apple hit his head and he discovered gravity. Well, the real story is Newton was such an antisocial person that they made up the story about the apple tree. It was an apple falling out of the tree that he saw, but he was because he was by himself most of the time. And so the more that I would read about successful people, the more I absorbed about successful people, the more that I found they had the sensitivities and the challenges and the issues that I did. And so that, that quest to understand successful people went on for years. And one weekend, I was trying to write a book called Constructive Company, and I couldn't, I couldn't write, the, I was actually trying to write the book proposal for Constructive Company, a major publisher wanted me to write a book. And I got to the point where you talk about who's going to buy the book, describe your market, and I had 300 words to describe entrepreneurs, and I couldn't, I was so blocked, it should have been easy. Yeah. You know, I worked with entrepreneurs, I was an entrepreneur, I coached entrepreneurs, it, there shouldn't have been any type of block or hesitation, but I couldn't do it. And I remember getting up and going and telling Katie I was struggling. I had a glass of water. I, I came back to my desk and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to remove the 300 word limitation and I'm going to write whatever comes out. And Joy, um, I started typing and it was a Saturday. And by the end of the weekend, I had 25,000 words and I just didn't stop. And we ended up taking that, all, everything that I wrote and editing it down and putting it in order. And it became that both the entrepreneurial personality type. We actually pulled a lot out of it. I know entrepreneurs like to do things fast. They like quick information. And so we wanted it to be about under a two hour read, even for someone who's dyslexic like me. So if you read really fast, it's 45 minutes. If you read really slow, it's about two hours. And um, the book is my hypothesis on why people like us are who we are. And I wanted to write a book that explained our behaviors in a way that made everything make sense. Mm -hmm. And when I look at entrepreneurs throughout history, you know, Steve Jobs is an interesting example because he clearly was one of the most brilliant visionaries of our time. And he got the best work out of people. And he inspired so many different industries. He changed the world in so many different ways. Still equations that are running right now that had Steve Jobs not been there, who knows if they would be. And at the same time, he was difficult and challenging and he hurt people's feelings and he did not create safe spaces like we talk about these days. Like all of Apple was not a safe space if Steve Jobs was in the building. And, you know, that dichotomy, that, 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 um, that kind of bipolar type behavior, not to you, not, not in the psychological sense of the world, but in being polarity, having polarity, um, 
is so common in entrepreneurs. You know, the, the Einstein couldn't tie his shoe and failed algebra, became one of the greatest physicists of all time. You know, those types of things you see over and over again. And when I look at, you know, who we are as entrepreneurs, for me, I have this hypothesis that we, the, the definition of an entrepreneurial personality type is we are physiologically sensitive, momentum-based beings that are highly reactive to constraint. So when Jobs was in momentum, when he was excited, when things were going his way, everybody loved him. He could get up on, on a stage and inspire literally the entire world in 20 minutes. That's but when, when he was in constraint, when things were slowed down, when things got in his way, he was a tyrant and he was terrifying and, and all those other things. And when you look at any entrepreneur's positive and challenging behaviors, I feel like it's when we're in momentum and out of momentum, when the pressure and noise goes too high, we show up as challenged, we show up as symptomatic. Mm -hmm. And so the argument I make is that the entrepreneurial personality type is really the evolutionary hunter. We've been programmed for millennia to get up every day, go into the future, create this new reality of being on the hunt and getting something done. We come back to the present and we demand it becomes real. And the energy, the, the psychic power that it takes to do that, the psychological power that it takes to do that is not resonant in the average human being. No. But for people like us, it doesn't go away and you can't turn it off. And so we are fundamentally different than the rest of the world. And I feel like we are the most misunderstood population there is. And it's so incredibly hard because sometimes you feel so alone, especially if you're in a society where it's it's not a norm. You know, if, if you're not surrounded yeah. by people like yourself, it's like you, you just feel so incredibly alone. And it's so sad. And that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because the entrepreneurial journey is quite lonely. And sometimes you're just surrounded by people that just don't understand it. They don't get you. When I read this little book, I was almost in tears. Well, actually, I was in tears because it was for mm. the first time I felt somebody actually understood how I feel. Yeah. Alex, one of the things that is also, which I have right here, is the billionaire code. Now, I know you've mm -hmm. spoken a lot about the billionaire code, um, and I don't want to dive too deep into it, but can you just give us, like, how did the billionaire code come about? How did it really start? It's interesting. If you, if you look at the entrepreneurial personality type, there's this chapter called The Entrepreneurial Life of Questions. And when I would, you know, when I read the, the stories of entrepreneurs, I started to see patterns. You know, one of them is the contribution equation. I think every great entrepreneur in history did four things to be successful. First, they lowered the pressure and noise in their life. You know, by lowering the pressure and noise, I mean, they started eating the right foods. They started taking care of themselves. They started saying no to the things they needed to say no to. It's actually in the story of every wildly successful entrepreneur. They started flying private jets. They started getting assistance and help and, and you know, delegating the tactical. And the second thing is, they, start, they didn't just lower pressure and noise, they increased protection and support. They started actually asking for help. It's one of the hardest things for us to do. Asking for help is, so I, I call it the entrepreneur's dilemma. We need far more help than the average person, but every request for help leaves us feeling, de uh, leaves us feeling vulnerable and exposed. Mm -hmm. But if you look at successful people, they did it. Mm -hmm. And the, th the third thing is, if you lower pressure and noise and increase protection and support, your strengths and abilities show. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go out and teach yourself anything. You just get better at everything if you do those two things. Far too many entrepreneurs increase noise, won't ask for help, and then go try and learn how to fix it. And it just doesn't work. And if you do the three things, you lower pressure and noise, increase protection and support, your strengths and abilities show, and you'll go make your greatest contribution. Every successful entrepreneur I ever studied did those things. Well, that was one of the first equations for me that emerged from studying entrepreneurs. But if you read the stories of 50 or 100 entrepreneurs, they kind of look disparate. They look different. If you read 500 or 1,000 or you get to where, like, I've studied so many, I, I've lost count. 
I don't know how many books I've read and how many articles and third-party accounts and synopsis and, and uh, biographies and articles. And anytime somebody's successful, I like chase it down. I want to figure out how they got there. And the entrepreneurial life of questions is the nine questions I believe get us from where we start to where we want to be. Mm. And, you know, it, it starts with how do I stop pressure and noise? Mm. I think every one of us has been in that place where we don't want to have the noise anymore. And the second one is what is wrong with me? And because we feel like there's something wrong with us, this equation opens up like, how do I get ahead? Mm. And, you know, the how do I get ahead? And then how do I get even further ahead? It's like we figure something out. Now we want more. And then, most entrepreneurs never make this leap. But the next question is, how does my team get me ahead? How do, we, how do we surround ourselves with the people who are going to help us? And then we have this tectonic shift from me to we, where it's instead of how does my team get me ahead, how does my team get ahead? How do these people around me, how do I focus on them? And then how does my team get even further ahead? And then how do we help others get ahead? And how do we help everyone? And that became like this meditation for me for years. I'm like, I think this is the path to entrepreneurial success. Yeah. And <clears throat> I went to a to an event where Clay Mask, the um, CEO of, in, oh, no, you know what? That's not what happened. For yeah, you know, one of the first things that happened, CEO of Infusionsoft shared, yeah. and he shared this matrix where he had kind of put numbers to what what to those questions. And I looked at it and I thought, you know what? It's not just the entrepreneurial life of questions. It, this is what we go through to start a business. You start the business and you're the very first phase and it's like, how do I stop the pressure and noise? Yes. Then everybody seems like they're doing better than you and what is wrong with me? And so what I finally did was assigned categories to it. Like this is, this is the first category, the second category, the third category. Then I got some numbers from the US um, Small Business Administration and the numbers line up with those questions. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of backed into the billionaire code first by understanding what is the base level question that entrepreneurs ask at each level of growth and what should we be asking? And so it developed into this matrix that now we use as the back end for our coaching program. It's been downloaded about tens of thousands of times. Yeah. Um, it shows up in a lot of different books with different names on it. It shows up in a lot of other people's products with different names on it. But, um, and I think it's because, you know, Joy, I've, I've gone out and shared it tons of times yeah. and nobody ever comes up and says, hey, I think you're wrong. Entrepreneurs just look at it and say, man, that billionaire code is just mm -hmm. truth. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I have shared it with so many people because when you look at it, it is like, wow. And it's amazing how something so simple can be so impactful. You, you know, obviously yeah. it is, it wasn't formed out of simplicity, but it's just, yeah, it's quite, it's, yeah, it's amazing. You can download this on your website, right? You can, you can actually yeah. go to billionairecode.com. You can download the matrix. We've actually added a ebook called the billionaire code decoded. And you can also watch me present the, the billionaire code in a video. I strongly recommend you guys get your hands on this one as well, because this is really good. Now, Alex, there is, okay, so I'm a mom. I've got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. Sure. I actually remember um, I had an Instagram photo once where I tagged you with my four-year-old watching videos with me, your videos, be more specific, because it doesn't matter if I get up at four or I get up at five, my kids wake up. I don't know why. So I've given up on that. But um and being a mom, it is, you see your kids go through this. Now, I don't homeschool yet, but I think it's on the cards. My kids are still small. I've got a four and seven-year-old, so they're not, you know, I think when we get to the teen, that's where things get serious, right? Yeah. But as a parent, how do you juggle all of this? Because I'm sitting at home when we had lockdown, for example, we had lockdown for almost a month here in New Zealand. And juggling business and kids can be really tricky if you're not in that, I guess, momentum of, of balancing it all. Now, now you guys homeschool and you know mm -hmm. your kids are extremely smart and you, you know how to handle this. But how do you deal with that? 
So uh, <clears throat> first, I just want to share, we, we don't homeschool anymore. Um, last year, in the middle of last year, our kids really started talking to us about needing more social interaction, more social engagement, that they wanted to be able to be more around people their age. So we, that we have them in an alternative school here in Austin that is extraordinary. It's kind of, kind of a homeschool transition school. It's actually in a home and there's a limitation of 82 kids and it's run like a liberal arts college. And my kids, That's when awesome. there's, it's incredible. People are moving from around the, the United States to go to this school, but it's sold out right now. It's completely at capacity. Um, we're actually, the owner of the school is actually one of our members and we're showing her how to increase the capacity of, by opening other schools and by expansion. And so we're really excited about it. And it, I mean, Joy, it's so intense when there's a vacation, the first vacation that they had, my 11 year old cried when she was 11. So Kennedy, my younger daughter, she was upset that she couldn't go to school. So we know they're in a great mm -hmm. place now. But before, um, you know, I, I think, again, entrepreneurs have been sold this bill of goods that you can't do it all. And if you have the right process and the right structure and the right routine in your life, you can have a business that is extraordinarily successful. You can have investments that you make and you make your money, make you money. Mm -hmm. You can have an incredible relationship with your spouse. And you can also have a connected and authentic and real relationship with your kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, when, I, when we're with our kids, it's either one of two things. We're either focused as a family together or... When we're around other people and our kids, they they hear everything. They're not left out of conversations. We don't tell them they need to leave the room when we're talking to somebody. And I just had some, my cousin and his husband um, were out here this weekend. And um, Jim, Thomas's husband said, my cousin is Thomas and Jim is his, his husband. And Jim said, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed with how transparent you are with the kids. Like you just have every conversation you have with adults in front of your kids. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest issues with with being an entrepreneur is that we try to compartmentalize and pretend like we have this over here and this over here and this over here. We don't do that with our kids. You know, I have this podcast called tell your kids everything. And it's a belief that I have that children really need to understand way more about being adults while they're children, because we shelter them until they're, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, when they start getting included in adult situations. And then we wonder why they fall flat when they go out in the world or why they get knocked down and punched in the face over and over and over again. Well, the reality is they haven't had the, the ability to understand what's going to happen. And so I don't compartmentalize. You know, when I, when I need to work, I tell the kids I'm, I need to go work and they understand what I'm doing. And, um, and, and I also have a ton of routine and structure around making sure that, you know, we have dinner every night as a family, that every morning when they wake up, one of us is there or both of us is there with them. And so when you have the right routine and the right process and you're willing to ask for help, you don't have to sacrifice a lot of your life. Yeah, no, I like that. Now, this podcast is about diving in behind the scenes to understand what makes successful people successful. Now, Alex, you've just talked about routine. Can you please tell us what would your daily routine look like? Sure. Um, so I get up, I get up relatively early, not as early as I used to. I used to be like a four or four thirty person. And now um, I value sleep a little more. I've, I've learned just how much recovery the body needs when you're really active. And so I, these days I sleep in until 5.15 or 5.30, which for a lot of people still feels early. Um, this morning, I think I was, yeah, this morning, I think I was up at five. So I, I get up early and uh, the first thing I do is clean my mouth, brush my teeth, scrape my tongue, and then I have a ton of water, uh, usually somewhere around like 20, 30 ounces of water just to get the body started. Yeah. Um, I come down to my office and 
I have a, I used to call it a morning routine, but, but so much of it, Joy, has converted to ritual. You know, I have a, a space in my office, which uh, a lot of people in the spiritual world would call an altar. It's kind of a 3D vision board where you put the things you want to attract into your life. And so I have some books that really mean a lot to me. I have pictures of Katie and my kids. Uh, we recently bought land here in Texas that we're developing. So I have the survey for the land. Um, I have some crystals and some stones and some candles and some awards that we've won that I want to repeat. And I stand in front of that altar and I say my intention for the day. You know, it often sounds something like, um, I want to call in my guides, my higher power, my higher self, my guardian angels to help me through this day, to understand what I should do and to move my family forward, my business forward, my relationship forward. And I, I say it in a way that makes it so that I have a body response. So when I'm getting chills, when I'm feel, feeling connected, I know that I'm doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I'll light the candles in the altar, then uh, spend some time at my desk, usually journaling. I like to get a few things out in the morning. I feel like, you know, that first 90 minutes after you wake up is so crucial because your mind's activated in a way it won't be for the rest of the day. Uh, then I do to spend some time learning, you know, before my kids are up, before Katie's up, I'll, I'll watch a video for a course that I'm in right now. I'm in one of Dane Thomas's course called, of course it's called Lightbringers. It's amazing. So I'll rewatch some of his stuff or somebody else's or read a book. Then um, I go up and I get Katie up and Katie and I take our dog for a walk. And that's like the first connection point in the morning while we, we wake up the kids, we take the dog, take uh, this little shizzy that we have for a walk. <laughs> and then I come back and depending on whether I'm driving the kids to school or not, there's a routine that I go through. And, you know, it includes um, almost every morning is a cold plunge in 39 degree water for at least three minutes, sometimes four mm -hmm. or five or more. Yeah, every day I do. I do one of the most difficult, like I, I'm, I have a fear of cold water, like a, a, Still today, I have this massive fear of cold water. I've been doing it every day for over a year. And um, one of my coaches, Shane Saunders, calls it uh, stepping into discomfort on purpose. Like if you bring discomfort on purpose, you know how to keep it out of the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And so I'll do the cold plunge. Um, then I'll come back and get help get the kids get ready. And if I'm driving them to school, I take them to school and we have connection time on the way. And if I'm not driving them, then I'm here and I probably do more learning. Um, some meditation, uh, spend some time really understanding what I want to get out of the day. Mm -hmm. And every morning I go through what we call our momentum planner. Yes. And so this is one of our, our, I think it's the most effective product we have for anything that anybody wants to get done. And so each morning I write down from the day before what I was grateful for and where I won the day before. I write down what's my intention for the day, um, where I was uncomfortable the day before. And then I make a to-do list. But the important thing is I pick out the top three things that I want to get done. And before I drive the kids to school or Katie drives the kids to school, we get together and we share this with each other with intention. So every day we have this alignment around those six questions. Um, you know, what, what, where did I win? And what am I grateful for? What's my intention today? Where was I uncomfortable yesterday? What are the top three? And then anything we have to share off the to-do list. And that level of intention, that intentionality, even though it's maybe five to 15 minutes that we talk, the fact that it happens daily, the fact that we do it every day, there's not a lot of drift in our relationship. It creates a massive amount of connection. Yeah. And so, um, and then I go into my day and that includes, I start with a conversation with my operator, Haley, the person who helps us run our business, mm -hmm. then our leadership team, then our daily huddle, and then whatever's on my schedule for the day. And do you, because 
you okay one of the things that i've learned in your program that is going to stick with me until the day i die one day i'm sure is is having that structure routine and process in your business now it's one thing to have in your business but it's also incredibly important in your personal life because i mean they work together right it's it's just a circle of how they work together and they can work against each other joy that is true as well and i have noticed that as well so when it comes to the structure routine and process, and obviously, you know, momentum planner, because I have one right here as well. Here's my planner. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. It's right here. It's written. It's, you know, that is I'm, on so a, cool. I'm on a mission with it. So um, this is a, a game changer, guys. So definitely. But when I look at my momentum planner, for example, and my to-do list is the to-do list. I know you call it that as well because you're forever just sitting because you always have a million things to do. It's just a problem, I guess, in life in general. But when I look at the to-do list, it's always this long, but I know you have to dump it all. And then I look at my intention and then you look at the top three things. Now, the correlation, I guess, between the three of this, and I hope I, I try to explain this correctly so you can understand my question. So when I look at the attention, I look at the to-do list and I look at the top three things. Sometimes they they don't gel together very nicely because yeah. it's you, you have so much to do and you have to prioritize. That feeling of overwhelm comes in then. How do you, how do you fix that overwhelm using your planner? So every day, here's what a lot of people skip, Joy. The, yes. the question, where was I uncomfortable yesterday? Yeah. If you're feeling overwhelmed on a daily basis, then the next day you should be writing down, I was overwhelmed by my to-do list. I was overwhelmed by my, my intention wasn't matching with my top three. You know, I was uncomfortable with those things because as entrepreneurs, we are the ultimate optimists. We're people that do what the rest of the world feels is impossible. And what we're doing right now, speaking in, in a, an event like this, like being on a podcast where other people are going to listen, the average person feels like they're dying. You and I actually walk into this on purpose. And so when we don't recognize where we're uncomfortable, we do not open the equation to where we can solve things. And I think so often entrepreneurs stuff down where they're uncomfortable and go right back to the to-do list. And instead, when we ride, let that discomfort rise, when we recognize where those moments in the day were, where we, are unco- we were uncomfortable, when we recognize the things that made us uncomfortable, I mean, whatever it is, writing it down, when you get in the habit of writing it down, after two or three days of that, that recognition, your mind will start to find other equations. When we stuff stuff down, our conscious and subconscious mind do not work on it. They're just bothered by it. They're pressured by it. It creates anxiety. It creates symptoms in entrepreneurs. It actually increases the pressure and noise. When we recognize it, we create the possibility of solving it. Yeah. And so when if you're in a place where, where your days aren't matching, if you're in a place where the top three doesn't really feel like momentum, write those things down and ask yourself why. Mm-hmm. And just the recognition of the issue starts the equation that your mind can actually create a solution. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Hashtag goals. It actually, that actually, that was born from a joke. I used to coach because I'm a marketing, I'm heavy into marketing. It's my, I've got an agency, et cetera. And um, I used to coach one-on-one businesses. And for some reason, they just, people, it's easy for people to set a goal, but it's very hard for people to achieve a goal, right? It's mm-hmm. just, it's just not. And that was born from that. Cause I used to irritate them every day. Hashtag goals. Where are you today with your goals? How do you set goals in your business, Alex? Um, you know, Joy, these days I have a team of about 17 people. And so I, I am involved at the very high level in our goal setting. 
mm-hmm. in the direction of where we want to go for the year, um, in the direction of who we want to work with, what movement we're serving, in the direction of some of the products. But most of the goals and outcomes in my business are now set by my team. You know, we use our planning process <clears throat> where on a uh, annual basis, we get together and we determine where we're going for the year. Then every quarter we get together and we, we choose what we're going to delegate to, what, what people are we going to hire, what projects are we going to accomplish, what processes are we going to document, and what policies are we going to put into the company. The team brings most of those forward and then they're, they're arranged and then prioritized by the team. And so we walk in every 90 days, then every 30 days we get together and they come up with what are the outcomes for those 30 days that are going to get us to those higher goals. And then every week we do our weekly commitments. And so when it comes to goal setting in our company, I'm involved in the very top of that structure. But as it what we call our strategic plan of waterfall, as it waterfalls down through those different gates, most of the goals are set by my team. I'm there and I can say, hey, I think this is unrealistic or I don't think this is enough or I don't think this is the direction we want to go. But, um, but you know, we, we don't even look at them as goals. We look at them as outcomes. And we know we're going to achieve those outcomes because we have a process through which we execute so that we know every day if someone's executing something in our business, it means that it fits into a weekly. And if a weekly fits into, if it fits into a weekly, it fits into the monthly. And if it fits into the monthly, it fits into the quarterly. And then that fits into the annual goal, which is going to achieve our client-centric mission. So everyone in our organization knows what they're doing each day is going to get us to our long-term results. And so for me personally, I do the same thing. We have a personal planning process. Katie and I get together on an annual basis. And every year we set these goals where each year we've been a little more bold and a little more audacious and in one way or another they come true i have a waterfall because obviously you know being in the and i went through the predictable system and planning system and i do have the waterfall and it's amazing that when you structure your day like that and i've always been pretty good with setting goals and achieving them and that's why i'm I'm borderline obsessed with it hashtag goals is for the reason they're exact that and uh, also I've got you can see this side I've got a hashtag focus to obviously as part of the, uh, the podcast but just getting focused and focus on your day and like you say the intention that word intention is so incredibly important right Brilliant. now as entrepreneurs challenges is a thing I mean it's the entrepreneurial journey is like this there's not never a straight line what has been the biggest challenge that you faced in the last year or two Hmm. One of the biggest challenges I faced in the last year or two. Uh, you know, Joy, I think if, if we're going to take this specific last couple of years, yeah. I think that we've entered into a time frame in the history of humanity where the level of judgment and the level of polarity and the level of conflict is at the highest I've ever seen it in my entire career, my entire life. You know, um, I think the number of people who have decided to cancel other people, the number of people who have decided that they're on one side of an argument and the other side of the argument is invalid. It shouldn't even be listened to. You know, the, the situations in the world right now where people are being shut down and censored and cut off and really pulled out of the, the dialogue is, is incredibly challenging for me. I think when you look at so much of what's happening today, you know, we are dealing with a brand new type of crisis. We're dealing with a brand new type of issue. We're dealing with solutions that we've never had before and are completely unproven. And a lot of them are terrifying. And we have these, this polarity in society where some people are like, everything is true and we need to listen to all of it. You can't even do your own research. And if you don't line up, you're not a good person anymore. 
Like that's actually an argument I see made is like, you're a bad person because you don't have the same level of certainty around what's happening that I have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think for me, one of the biggest challenges has been um, having beliefs that, that I have that people have judged me at such a level that they just don't even want to want to hear it anymore. You know, they've just completely walked out of the conversation and I've never had that before in my career. You know, I've, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've had, um, I've coached and worked with huge groups of entrepreneurs and I've always been pretty open about my beliefs and who I am and how I look at things. And people, a lot of the time they've been like, okay, well, you know, I have different beliefs, but we can still agree to disagree and get along. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the last two years, the level of societal pressure the level of governmental pressure, the level of, um, let's get real, propaganda that, that has been shared everywhere has created this environment where we can't agree to disagree anymore. It's either you're good or you're bad. And I just, I feel like that's that's a, a challenging place for humanity to be. I feel like it's a very challenging place for all of us to be. And so I've been challenged by the number of stories of people who've been disowned by their families or kicked out of groups of friends or um, encouraged to leave neighborhoods because they have beliefs that in some way are different than the beliefs of the people around them. And there's been some of that in my life. There's been some of that in our families. There's been some of that in the people that we know. And thankfully, it's not that much. But um but I've just, I've watched a lot of friends and a lot of people that I respect struggle because they're on one side of the argument and they're not willing to even see the other side. I think that when one of the, one of the darkest places a human can go is when they believe they're hundred percent right. And they get into a place of self-righteousness. I know if I'm ever self-righteous in an argument, I'm probably wrong. And not probably, if I'm ever being self-righteous in an argument, something is wrong. And I think that there's just, We've gotten to a place where self-righteousness and one-sided arguments and censoring and not even listening to the other side is normal. And that's been a massive challenge. We live in a crazy society at the moment. It's just, it's just incredible. Like you kind of just wish you can reset three years ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where things can yeah, just be, be normal again. Alex, <clears throat> why do you contribute to your success? Um, man. You know, I, uh, what do I contribute to my success? I think that when you look at the entrepreneurial personality type, you know, and, and the, the attributes that we have that the rest of the world looks at as being um, unhealthy or wrong, yeah. I'm proud to lean into mine. You know, when somebody says, oh, you're obsessive about that, I take it as a compliment. Yeah. When somebody says, you know, you, you, uh, you're always changing directions and you always have new ideas. I'm like, of course I do. That's who I am. And I think it, I, you know, when you say, what do you contribute to your success? You know, I often joke with people once I stopped trying to be who everyone else wanted me to be and just was myself, that's when everybody thought I was cool and wanted to listen. But as long as I was trying to play some caricature or be somebody else, it didn't ever work. And so I think there was, there was a time in the last probably only 10 or 15 years where um, my father-in-law had passed away. And um, from the time we found out he had cancer to the time he had passed away, it was 72 days. I was giving his eulogy at his funeral. Um, he was 58, so super, super young to die. And I was wearing a really itchy, uncomfortable suit where it wasn't uncomfortable in the morning, but during the eulogy, it became the most uncomfortable thing I've ever been in. And um, I decided I'm not doing it anymore. And I came home that weekend. I got rid of all my suits. I started wearing what I wanted to wear. I wear 
clothes that I only feel comfortable in. Most of them feel like pajamas and they need to. And I am a hundred percent on a daily basis trying to be my authentic self. And, and when I, when I say authentic self, I think that word gets, those words get overused. What I mean by it is I want to be who I'm happy being every day. And, you know, I had a certain level of success before I took this tone and before I changed this, this way of looking at the world. But as soon as I made the decision to do that, as soon as I gave up suits and started wearing t-shirts, as soon as I stopped trying to say the right thing and said what I was really thinking, as soon as I stopped trying to like fit in and I was fine with being the only person at a wedding wearing a t-shirt and sweats, like, I don't care. That's when people started listening and talking about me. And that's when I got on the biggest stages. That's when I was in the same program as Tony Robbins and tons of other people, you know? So I think when, when you ask, what do you attribute my, what do I attribute my success to today? It's that I allow myself to be exactly who I am. And I think that has a resonance and magnetism in the world that we overlook. I always tell people any, any attempt to be anything other than yourself will only cause pressure and noise in your life. But the opposite is true too. When you are willing to be fully and unabashedly yourself, when you're willing to put yourself out there, you become magnetic and magnetic people change the world. I love that magnetic people change the world. I'm going to put that on my wall, actually. I, love, I like <laughs> that quote. That's actually, I think, because you've got a lot of awesome quotes. I actually have a few quotes of yours, but that's like, I like that one. A quick, a few, just a few quick more questions. So what is your top three success habits of all time? Um, I think having a, a real morning routine that I put time into is huge. Yeah. Um, I, I think also having a process and structure in my business is a big one. But ever since I've been married, I always tell entrepreneurs, if you're married, the key to success is number one, put your marriage first. And number two, be completely transparent in your marriage. I'm 48 and Katie and I have been married 18 or sorry, 16 years, like I said before, eight together, 18. And today I can honestly say that there are no secrets in my marriage. Like my wife knows everything, even the really uncomfortable stuff, even the stuff most people are ashamed of. And I think she would say the same thing. And having that level of transparency in the most important relationship in my life is like a backstop that most people don't have because it's, it, until you're fully real and fully transparent with your spouse, there's always something that's causing a level of anxiety, that background level of anxiety in your relationship. Mm-hmm. When you put yourself completely into the relationship and you share everything, the good, bad, the challenging, all of it, mm-hmm. it becomes this foundation from which everything else in your, your life and your business and everything else can grow. And so, um, you know, I didn't say it earlier about what do I attribute my success to? I think a lot of it is that too. If I, if I can be completely authentic and real in my marriage, it makes it that much easier to do it in the rest of the world. That's amazing. That is so true as well. So this podcast, like I said before, is behind the scenes of successful people. And some of the people listening to this podcast are people that they've started a business, but they're really stuck or they're sitting on that fence and are like, oh, can I really do this? What advice would you have for somebody that is either sitting on the fence or they're just stuck in their current place? Yeah. You know, um, if you're even considering doing something different, if you're even thinking about changing your life, you know, if your mind is creating the question, can I, the answer is absolutely 100% yes. And I think for so many of us, the challenge is accepting that. The challenge is accepting ourselves and saying, we want something different. Mm. And if you're sitting on the sidelines, if you've taken the first step, but the second one's even more difficult, if you've gotten to a certain place and it feels like you're jumping off of a cliff, I want you to know something about people like us. 
your mind wouldn't ask the question unless you had the capacity. That's just how the universe works. We will not even have the thought of something that we can't bring into full fruition. And so if you've thought about it, if you're thinking about it, if you're in that place where you're ideating around doing something, I want you to know something, you're one of us. And if you're one of us, it means you're different than the rest of the world. It means that the destination is not the goal, it's the journey. It means that you are an evolutionary hunter or huntress. And for people like us, if we're not on the hunt, we don't feel like we're fully alive. And so I want you to fully lean into those feelings. I want you to get emotional about those feelings. I want you to start letting those feelings out and stop stuffing them down. Because here's what I know with all the reading and research and time I've spent with entrepreneurs is it doesn't matter what barrier you're facing. It doesn't matter what issue you have in your life. It doesn't matter what diagnosis you have, what challenge, what illness, what problem, what lack, what, what constraint, whatever it is. There is a story of someone just like us who's faced those same things or worse and gone around them, through them, under them, over them, or whatever they needed to do to get into momentum and take the world with them. And if they can do it, you can too. Because if you're an entrepreneurial personality type and you're feeling those feelings, this isn't just who you are. This is your birthright. You were put here on this planet to change the world, to make a difference and to make an impact. And so if you're thinking about doing that, I want you to know something, not only can you, but you must, because the world needs people like us more now than it ever has. And I want to leave you with one thought. It doesn't matter what's going on with you. There is nothing wrong with you and you are not alone because as soon as you begin this journey, you will attract the people just like me and Joy and others who will come into your life become part of your tribe, part of your family, and help you move forward. Have faith in that because that's how it works for people like us. So powerful. I'm like almost emotional here, Alex. That is just, mm. and it is, thank you. Guys, that is like the best advice. So definitely follow Alex's advice on this. He's been doing this for many, many years. I've got two very fun questions to answer, to ask actually, because um, I put a post out, I'm like, if you guys can ask Alex any questions, but it would be so Andy, Andy Griffiths, you should know him um, and Chris Benetti. So Chris is asking Alex, why are you so awesome? I don't know. You know. <laughs> Chris and I are really close friends. And I think yeah. it's funny that he asked that question. Um, I think it was probably the answer that I gave before. You know, I think it's funny, you know, I, I do not wear the cool shoes and I don't wear the clothes everybody wants to have. And I don't, you know, flash around the things that I think make people awesome in today's society or give the impression of being awesome. But I show up as myself and I show up as myself consistently. And the same way I'm on this podcast is the same way I'm with my team. It's the same way I'm with my kids. It's the same way I'm with my wife. And I think that that makes people magnetic. It makes you different. It, it, may, it allows you to resonate in a different place. Yeah. And so that's what I would answer for Chris. Love it. And hey, Chris, hope you're doing well. <laughs> I boxed him this morning, so I know he is. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty awesome. And uh, Andy is asking, if they, you can buy anything under $100, what would it be? Oh, Andy, it's so hard for me to answer that question because if I need something under $100, I just buy it that minute and then I don't even think about it. <laughs> and so I have no idea. I mean, just this morning, I ordered some oils so that my wife and I can make some, some of our own skincare stuff that we wanted to try and... I think I bought an arc lighter so that I can light my candles easier. And I think I ordered a few different types of beads so I can make a couple of bracelets. So when it comes to under $100, it's not even a thought for me. I just get it and move on to the next thing. <laughs> I love it. Alex, as a last thought, do you have anything that you want to say to somebody on the spot or you know, the listeners to this podcast that I might not have covered? 
Um, yeah, as a final thought, you know, um, Joy, I've had a lot of people ask me some, some interesting questions these days. Like, what do you think is gonna happen? How are we gonna get out of this? Do you think things are going to get better? Do you think things are gonna improve? Is, is the world really gonna implode? Is the United States gonna go away? Like really, really challenging questions. Deep questions too. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I understand why they're being asked, but I have a different perspective on what's going on today. I've studied crisis for a lot of my life. When you study successful people, you always study crisis because you want to know something that's interesting. A lot of people became successful through crisis. FedEx was born in the middle of a crisis. Revlon was born in the middle of a crisis. You know, so many multi-billion dollar companies were literally born in the middle of a crisis. Katie and I experienced our highest levels of success today in the middle of the foreclosure crisis. And so when anybody asks me, you know, are things going to get better? Are we going to be okay? Is it, you know, what is, here's what I want everyone to know. History has shown us what will happen in this crisis because it's exactly what's happened in every other crisis in history. People just like us, the entrepreneurial personality type, elevate above the noise, ignore what's going on in society, create a bubble around them of momentum, and they look around and they identify the opportunities. They look at what's possible. They ask different questions. They do their own research. And if anybody's telling you not to get away from that person, because right now, is where someone like us is going to elevate above the noise, identify an opportunity, get it into momentum and take the world with us. And we, of course, will get out of this. And of course we will move forward. And of course we will all grow because the bigger the obstacle, the bigger the opportunity. And that's how it's been throughout history. And so if anyone discourages you from looking at things differently, from stepping out of the accepted narrative, from doing something different than the rest of society, from being the one person who's saying no, where everybody else is saying yes, I want you to know if you have those feelings, lean into them because you are part of what's going to save us. Amazing. Thank you so much, Alex. And where can people reach you? You know, Joy, if you're a podcast listener, one of the best places to go is to our podcast. You can go to MomentumPodcast.com and it has all of the different sites where our podcast is played. And it's also on iTunes. It's called Momentum for the Entrepreneurial Personality Type. And then also uh, one of the best places to see our information is to go to billionairecode.com, download the matrix, download the book. And if you want to, you can set up a call with our team. Uh, we help people simplify their operations and grow in, in ways where they're supported as a visionary and they don't feel like they're doing everything themselves. Thank you for that. And guys, Momentum is amazing. Um, Alexis, you probably like 700 plus episodes. Yeah, Easy. we're almost at 800 and nearing, yeah. we're approaching 3 million downloads. Yeah, it's amazing. Like that is my that's my daily. Like like I I inhale Alex's content on his podcast. It's really really a great great podcast. I highly recommend it. Alex, this has been fantastic. I appreciate your time so very much. Thank you for doing this, and yeah, thank you so much for you. Thank you, Joy. This was this was an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to doing it again sometime. Thank you.